I just learned the best spell of all. What's that? Sleep. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are so glad that you decided to return after last week's disastrous episode. Can you believe those fools? All of that yammering about Twin Peaks and no conclusions reached. Mabcon 2017 is still really cool. In today's episode, we will follow two of our hosts, myself, Eric L. Arneson, and Matthew Anthony as they attempt to brew a beer. The recording conditions for this episode were tricky, and it's very possible that one of our hosts, the host in charge of the audio recording equipment, hadn't calibrated everything quite right. So hopefully you will excuse us if from time to time your hosts sound like strange robots, or aliens from another dimension, or time-traveling Morlocks. We will attempt to remove the background noise and enhance the audio signal as much as possible so that you can gain from their wisdom. So please, ladies and gentlemen, sit back and enjoy the show. Madcon! Alright, so there's this legend that is inscribed on the walls of some of the pharaoh's tombs. I think in particular, like, Seti I and Ramses II and Third. I think. Um, and this legend was so important to these guys that they had, like, a whole room set aside. So you'd, like, go into their tomb. And, you know, their tombs were, like, sort of vast and sprawling. And they'd have a whole room set aside just for this legend where it was, like, carved and painted on the walls. And uh, we call it now the Book of the Heavenly Cow. Do you know this story? No. All right. So the Book of the Heavenly Cow um, tells how Ra, the king of the gods, was super pissed off at mankind. He's like, mankind sucks. I'm really pissed off. And so he goes to Hathor. Hathor, who's this loving goddess. You know, she's the goddess of like, of like falling in love and being all like nice and mushy and friendly and stuff. She is the golden one. And he says to Hathor, he's like, Hathor, I'm going to use my super god powers. I'm going to turn you into a wrathful goddess. And I want you to go down and punish mankind for being a bucket of dicks. And Hathor's like, okay. So Ra transforms Hathor into Sekhmet. Sekhmet is another... um, like uh, sun goddess, but she's associated with war, and like her typical depiction is is uh, a woman with like a lioness for a head, and she also has like a sun disc on her head and stuff. So Sekhmet goes down to the world and just starts murdering the hell out of men, just killing him, killing him left and right, killing and killing and killing and killing, and she's like the most efficient, bloodiest, vicious like, efficient killing machine ever created. And Ra looks down and watches Sekhmet, and he's like, oh, whoops, crap, what did I do? I just I just took, like, the most loving creature ever, you know, the goddess of love, and transformed her into this vicious murder monster and sent her down to uh, do bad stuff to people and chop them into pieces and all this sort of thing. And he's like, how... How can I stop her? She's bloodthirsty. I can't I can't get through to her. I can't communicate to her and bring out like the nice kind Hathor that exists within. It's like Sekhmet all the way. 
So finally he comes up with an idea. And he gathers up all the beer he can find. And he makes this lake of... He, he puts it all in one big lake. He makes a big lake of beer. And then he dyes it red so it looks like a lake of blood. And then he lures Sekhmet there. And Sekhmet is so bloodthirsty that she's just all like, Blood! And she dives in and she drinks and she drinks and she drinks. And she drinks the entire lake of beer. And gets ridiculously drunk. And passes out. And when she wakes up, the divine hangover has transformed Sekhmet uh, back into Hathor. And that's the book of the holy cow. Or the heavenly cow. The book of the heavenly cow. I, I'm not entirely uh, certain what it means. but Okay, Matt. What kind of beer are we making? We're making a triple. I was going to say Belgian triple, but that's kind of redundant. And what's going to be special about it? Like, what are, what, what are the ingredients? What are the steps? It's, I don't even know what questions to ask you. <laughs> I mean, uh, triple, at least the triple that I like to make, is it's like super, super simple uh, grain bill. It's pretty much just all Pilsner with like a pound of something else in there. So like Pilsner malt? Yes. Okay. And then... Um, Belgian candy sugar, but mm-hmm. in this case, we'll have to find some other form of sugar because we can find Belgian candy sugar. And it's all grain. Yes. And it's ten gallons. Yes. And um, and you haven't named your mash paddle. No, I've had that mash paddle for ten. No, jeez, eleven years. Well, it, it looks um, no more than like two years old. It's a very handsome mash paddle. Okay. So there's a, we have a, a really big bag of uh, malted barley. I mean, you know, it's it was originally 55 pounds, and it probably looks like maybe it's got 35 pounds left in it. Uh, it's 25 pounds. 25 pounds left in it. And um, and there's a, a device with a lot of tubes going in and out of it called a therminator. It's a wart chiller. It's a wart chiller. <laughs> Which was super, not as important to have, it's a convenience here in Washington, because the groundwater temps are always naturally low. But in Oklahoma, during the summertime, groundwater temps could be like high to mid-70s. So trying to get your beer cooled at the end of boil just was a nightmare. And so that's a plate chiller that helps speed up the process. So in Washington, it's an even faster knockout because the groundwater temps are so much lower. This is a... Lickman. Oh, ho, ho, ho. I get it now. <laughs> I get it now. So you have, I mean, it's a one right. stage wort chiller, like in a brewery, most brewery, well, up here, a lot of breweries probably don't even have a two stage chiller, I'm assuming, because again, the groundwater temps, but uh, one stage would just be, you've got wort going in, and you also have water going in, and the water's between one plate, beer's mm-hmm. going through the other, and there's tons of plates, Yeah. but a two stage chiller, you'd have water and glycol okay through to really knock it down right but okay so that's cool so this doesn't use glycol just cold water just cold water okay so then the first step is uh this first keg which has hey can you hear me echo echo (laughs) so this one yeah i brew using converted kegs okay the one with the space blanket on the outside yes this this is the mash time. This is my mash time. Okay. But I was telling you earlier, when I moved from Oklahoma, I actually had three vessels. I had an actual hot liquor tank. Mm-hmm. A third keg, I just used a hot liquor. And I would 
through the way you normally would. But when I moved from Oklahoma, I got rid of most of my stuff. So I got rid of my hot liquor tank, which means I have to brew kind of screwy now. Um, this is only my second time to brew since leaving the brewery. And so I'm doing boil in a bag. And the last time I brewed back in the spring, it was a five gallon batch. And so things weren't as weird. Mm -hmm. But since we're doing a full 10 gallon or 10 gallon batch and a boil in a bag, um, it'd be interesting. So normally I'd have three vessels to work from, but in uh -huh. this case, the mash tun's gonna act almost like a hot liquor tank. Okay. We'll put the bag in the kettle. Okay, and what's in the bag? The malt. Okay, so but so instead of doing a normal sparge, uh -huh. like you would in a mash tun, uh -huh. you've got full volume, full volume of water mm -hmm. for the most part in the kettle. The mesh bag goes in the kettle. Uh -huh. You put your grain in there. And instead of sparging, you lift the bag out, grain and all. Okay. All right. Cool. And then you top off to get whatever volume you need to get to. All right. Well, then, should we fill something up with water? Yes. All right. Okay. Ooh. Ooh. This is Hitchhiker Land. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We just returned from the store. We got um, two pounds of sugar in the raw, which is a turbinado organic cane sugar. And Matt was explaining that um, he would have rather had Belgian candy sugar, but uh, turbinado is pretty good. Uh, the sugar gets added to the boil further down the road. And I also learned some other stuff about brewing with Pilsner malts. Uh, Matt, when he was um, running his brewery, Pilsner malt was kind of his go-to, so he used it all the time. And... Okay, so after we do the mash, then we do a boil. So after we pull the tea bag out of the uh, boiling kettle, then we, I don't know if we top it off or not, but we basically boil then. Um, the boiling process eliminates a bunch of funk that can produce off flavors so there's a lot of weird off flavors that'll happen if you don't boil enough and pilsner malt really likes to be boiled it's big on boiling <clears throat> and um ooh. and that's that's all i've got except that i'm going to open a beer because in my experience you don't you don't homebrew without drinking <laughs> yeah okay all right, we're gonna open a Festivus. This is, hey, get your nose out of there, dogs. Jeez, dogs, dogs everywhere. <laughs> what, what, what? Okay, we've had a number of really incredible developments. First of all, uh, we opened uh, classic Anthem Festivus. What year is this from? Uh, April or May of 2014 and it sat in Bourbon Barrels until November of 2014. So it's almost three years old altogether. Yes. So, But it, does beer develop very much in the bottle? Or is it yeah, most, it'll keep okay. aging and changing. And, and um, it's great. Like when I opened, when I first poured it, it smelled like bourbon. And it smells like, it's like a cake. It smells like banana cake. bread. It does, yeah, yeah, like a like a spiced like a cake. Bourbon banana bread. Mm. 
my the holiday beer. <sighs> the holiday beer. I gotta say that this style of holiday beer, like the spicy, strong, figgy, dark style, this is like my favorite beer style. It's delicious, and it, and I feel like I feel like this stuff is liquid gold. <laughs> I think it actually tastes better than the one open last year. The carbonation is starting to fall off a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is kind of flat, but it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't feel like you need it. It's a big enough beer to really. And we had one of these last year, didn't we? Yeah. Okay, and then the other exciting development. So, Sor Sadkiel sent us a care package, and we were really hoping that it, it, it took forever. She mailed it on the. It took like, what, eight days? <laughs> um, which is too bad because we were really hoping to get it. So that we could uh, work through it. Uh, she sent us her Rotatero Internal Alchemy deck, which is. which looks awesome. It's still in shrink wrap. Like, Matt just got it off the front porch. The mail guy just dropped it off. So we haven't actually opened it up to look at it. But this thing is. it's kind of about as big as two tarot decks sitting next to each other. In fact, I think it's exactly that big. It's huge. Um, I'm really excited about breaking into this, so maybe we'll talk about it later on. And then she also, um, she's been working on the the Minor Arcana in the Rotatero, and she got a couple of test decks back from the printer, and they screwed up. So she sent us her, she sent us some reject decks, um, which I'm really excited about, because one thing that I've always wanted to experiment with is like... Uh, using tarot matt what is that foamy bucket is that the sanitizer okay okay cool brewing is kind of like mad science which i think is really why matt likes it it's really just washing dishes it's <laughs> washing dishes with mad science um yeah so i've been really excited about these uh, these reject decks because um there's still going to be plenty of usable cards in here and i think they would be really cool for uh, talismans or art projects or or uh, spell work using tarot. I've seen um, some people do this where they have like spells or rituals where they offer up a tarot card as a sacrifice or like an offering so they burn it or something. So, And I've always wanted to try that but it's really hard to take a tarot deck that's all complete and whole and be like, I'm going to destroy you and make you unusable. But now these tarot decks are already unusable so uh, so that's cool, right? You won't feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, uh, so is that that had the misprint? Or yeah, these have a misprint. Um, no, these are whole. These are... Oh, okay. These are the bonus, These are the internal alchemy meditation courses. Oh, so we thought that the, their misprint was well not. No, no. Oh, okay. These are these are whole. Like, oh, she's I been see. looking forward to sending us these. Uh, but this is a... And you can take that, and maybe it's still usable. One for each of us. Yeah. One. Yeah, I'm really glad that Did the. Did she say? I can't remember what it, I think she said what the issue was. She yeah, she said I think that um, some of the cards didn't pick up colors correctly, ah. or or something of that nature. And I don't know which ones, but I think the only ones she's changed are minor arcana cards. So the major arcana might still be good in these. So yeah, and I think this is huge versions of the major. I don't know. We're gonna have to open up one. Either way, see. thank you. Yes, Sword. thank you, Sword Sadkiel. You're uh, an honorary bromancer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm super glad that the other 
two guys are my still here. My alchemical sismancer. We'll figure that out later. But uh, I'm excited. I'm really happy that that Nate and uh, Joey left, so we don't have to argue over who gets to keep these. <laughs> With your day job. Yeah, man, day jobs. Oh, here, here's to freelancing, huh? Yeah, freelancing. Okay, so now I'm sort of watching. Uh, we had to we had to patch a hole in the um, in the tea bag. But um, are you taking pictures? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna put some pictures in the show notes in case our descriptions aren't very good. So, so right now, if you see the picture where it looks like uh, one of the brew kettles is wearing Sauron's crown, those are actually clamps holding the tea bag in. Um, and we haven't poured the grains in yet, but uh, ha- it, there's a lot of steam coming off. So maybe we're like four minutes away. Is it even closer than that? Oh, right, because we're not boiling yet. We're just getting to 100, I think Matt said 164 degrees Fahrenheit. When you are mashing, what you're doing is taking malt. It bar- So the barley's malted already, and that means it's sprouted, or? Uh, yeah, it's sort of sprouted. The main thing is what happens during the malting is you're activating um, the starches that are locked up in the grain. Okay. Basically, you're making it to where you can have an enzymatic reaction whenever the grain hits the water. Like, uh, react with, like, beta and alpha, beta and alpha amylase to where uh-huh. the grain hits water at, whatever the temp is. Yeah. Uh, it can actually convert the starch to sugar. Whereas, if you just keep it, throw it in there without malting, it's just starch. You it's, can never just, convert. Yeah. it's just starchy water. It's like when you make pasta. Oh, and Barley the Witch Dog is here. Barley, can you say hi? Do you want to bark once? Do you want to? You're looking super cute, Barley. How do you get... Is there? Does Barley have a speaking command? Barley, speak! Speak! Sneeze! Yawn! Yawn and squeak! Okay, well, whatever. This is it! Okay, you guys. We're dumping green! Okay. I want to get a recording of that sloshing noise. Okay, slash. No, I don't want to slash too much. We dumped all the grain in there. It smells... If you've brewed before, you know the smell of, like, wart and grains and all that stuff. And that's what it is right now. So this is what you were talking about before. You were telling me that you wanted to um, account for the, the temperature of the grain. Right, mm-hmm. so you just basically throw it in at 164, and it cools off to the temperature you want it to be at. Well, your strike temperature uh-huh. at 164, that's the strike temp. That's that's going to change, like you said, based off of your recipe. Like if you're wanting um, uh, lighter bodied, higher alcohol, uh-huh. you have a lower target temperature you're shooting for, so your strike temperature is going to be a little lower. But you also have to factor in the temperature of the grain itself that's going to be going in because that'll throw off uh, your target. So cool. in this case, based off of the temperature of the grain, uh, 
uh, temperature of everything outside mm-hmm. and what I'm going for. I figured 164, if I work backwards, calculated 164 should work. Okay, but this mash looks a little looser than what I normally like. Uh huh. And I'm guessing we overshot. So you'd normally like it to be thicker? But just a little bit, okay. not a whole lot. Because if it's too loose, the enzymes, this is going to sound really dumb, have a hard time swimming everywhere they need to go. Okay, to that makes convert. sense. But if it's too thick, uh, you're not going to get You're not going to get the conversion. Extraction. Yeah. Right. So you want them to, it's kind of like uh, the perfect neighborhood density, right? You yeah. Want. Okay. Yeah. It's the Goldilocks zone. Right. The Goldilocks zone. Okay. That, that makes sense. Cool. So right now it's kind of foamy on top, but it looks like um, sort of straw colored porridge, I guess would be a good way to say soupy oatmeal soupy oatmeal yeah but not the good it's not a it's not an oatmealish color and that's the pilsner malts i guess because they're they're pale we overshot but only by two degrees yeah, what kind so of that's fine what kind of flavor difference might, might that make it won't make a flavor difference it'll contribute to like uh more like the body and mouthfeel okay not mouthfeel more the body like um generally like uh if you're looking for a higher alcohol there's so many caveats in this, so I don't know if you're okay. really like... Cool. That's fine. Like, say, if you were making... If you wanted to make, like, a British-style stout, uh-huh. you would have a higher mash tent. Um, okay, so this... Because you wanted to leave some more... You wanted to leave some residual sugar behind. Added, uh-huh. um, to have, it, a, like, a, a fuller body. Whereas if you were making, say, like, a triple or a saison, you would have a lower strike tent because you want something that's going to thin out and dry, dry okay. out. Okay. So this might give a little bit more body to the triple mm-hmm. in the end. Okay. But maybe not noticeably. No, because it's only off by... I was shooting for 151, which for most people bringing a triple, they're probably shooting for 149. Uh-huh. But I wanted a little more body anyway. I was shooting for 151. And you got 153? Mm-hmm. Cool. Great. Then maybe it'll be a noticeable amount of body. Could be. <laughs> All right. And we only let this sit for... Five minutes. Fifteen. Fifteen minutes. It really, okay. because I, was, I don't think we got this recorded earlier, I was saying, and when you're taught homebrewing, I don't know if the dogmas are the same with uh-huh. when you get in homebrewing now as they were when I started, but you're always told you have to rest the mash for 60 minutes if you want it to convert. That's because whenever people start homebrewing, grains weren't that modified to where you actually had to wait that long for you to get the conversion, but a mm-hmm. lot of money was put in by the malting companies to make really high malt flooded grain uh, malt and most of them will tell you you get most of your conversion within five minutes but cool. just to be safe usually 15. 15 okay so you don't have to wait the full 60 some people argue oh no but i found on a commercial scale 15 was best and so okay even on cool. homebrew, it's the same well that's really neat uh that kind of changes things you know it shortens your brew date quite a bit yeah because i mean all grain brewing used to be like one of the hugest things used to be like oh yeah you gotta take eight hours to brew a beer six yeah. hours to brew a beer but now you're saying like we were like on we're that, gonna be ready to start boiling soon yeah because even when i started anthem mm-hmm. i was still doing 60 minute rest and i talked to other friends with breweries and they're like oh no man 15 minutes that's all you need and i was a little dubious but we did some experiments and we had the same efficiency 60 minutes versus 15 so like i'm a chump <laughs> so we took our brew day between that and some other things with them and then took it from a seven hour brew day down to we could do a brew in four to four and a half hours. Which gives you more free time. To do another batch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all 
about the volume. It's all about the volume. Cool. Well, that's awesome. All right, so I'm. I guess we get to sit down now, huh? Do we have to stir more? I'm gonna open the the, the big. Um... All right, this is Sword Sankiel's internal alchemy deck. It looks like it has. I mean, it looks like it. It must have thirty cards in it. I'm, I I thought that it was just your main, major arcana, but maybe it's got like an instruction card or something. It's huge. These are so cool. Okay. Oh, there are two cards for each key. So like, the fool has this huge fool card, which there are instructions. I'll read the instructions. Okay. Instructions on the back of each. No, so it's got. Oh, I thought that was. Never mind. It has the. Okay, so so each of the each of the cards, each of the keys, the the twenty two keys has a blown up version of the of the card. So it's got like the fool giant, the normal rototero backing on the back, and then the second card is um, the description of the key, key zero the fool. So it has all of the stuff, the same that you'd find in the rototero booklet about what uh, what the card is about. Uh, along with an affirmation down at the bottom for this fool, it says, The scintillating intelligence is my true self. I am one with the eternal flames of spirit, which is the truth underlying all experiences. Okay, so, instructions for operation. Things you will need. One, an altar in a quiet, clean space where you will not be disturbed. Two, a chair or a meditation cushion. I usually just use my butt as a meditation cushion. Three, a timer. <laughs> um, uh, four, a piano app or a master key 13 note pitch pipe for chanting in specific tones. Okay, that makes sense. And then five, a journal or pen for recording your experience. So uh, let's see. You. You sit at your altar and begin um, a pr- uh, alternate nostril breathing, like the pranayama breathing, I would assume, for five minutes while looking at the specific card. Um, there's a lot of extra instructions on how to do the breathing, uh, how to how to sit properly to keep to uh, keep keep your energy moving correctly. Um, two, once you have completed the breathing, review the correspondences while contemplating the symbols, symbolism in the, in the key at hand. Three, while looking at the key, read the affirmation out loud three times in the music, musical note that it corresponds with, um, pausing from 30 seconds to a minute after each repetition. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Four. After you've chanted the affirmation, go to the invocation, which is on the opposite side of the affirmation, like I said before. Read it out loud in your normal voice with focus that you may grasp the meaning as much as possible. After you complete the reading of the invocation, look at the tarot key for another five minutes. Be sure to take deep, long, slow, rhythmic inhalations and exhalations. Internally ask about the symbols. And then at the end, you write down your insights along with the date and the key that you're working with. And then finally, not finally, penultimately, close the space with a spontaneous prayer of gratitude. 
and then sit for a minute or so breathing deeply before continuing with your daily affairs. And record any synchronicities throughout the day. This looks like a pretty solid tarot meditation practice. It, um, it really makes me think of like, you know, when I was first doing Modern Magic, like there's this whole tarot meditation thing in there that's not nearly as detailed and interesting. So this is cool. Good job, Sword Sanjay. I'm excited to get started. Yeah. Well, we'll have to like, we'll, we'll have to compare notes. Yeah. That'll be fun. So did you look through the deck? Yes. Does it look good? Yeah, it looks great. But I understand Yeah. there's probably details that she knows about that we don't know about. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe if we compared it to the other printing, we'd be like, oh, look. you have, don't you have? Yeah, I br- in yeah. fact, I brought mine with me. But I've also been, I've also been um, paying attention. Oh, look at that. And then at the back, there's like little charts. The Tree of Life, the, the Tarot, uh, the Hebrew alphabet using the same huh. colors that, that she uses for the keys. Uh, and then the Cube of Space. This is so cool. And this thing, look, a little mini chart for the Tree of Life. That's going to be really helpful, actually, for me. This is all really beautiful. Sword Sandkill definitely knows her shit. Super impressed. Yeah, me too. I um, need a thing to keep this in. Do you have, like, an extra paper bag or something that I can... Uh, well, oh, I yeah. can find you something smaller. I think okay. I actually do have something smaller. Okay. Do you have a, a space in your house that you use for ritual? Not in this house. In Puyallup, I did. Well, I remember I you mean, had I, mean, I had a bit, yeah, a dedicated yeah. space. Uh, right now, I just have to be in my office, which I don't yeah. like having. What I loved in Puyallup is... Yeah, you had a whole separate room. space. Yeah. Because I don't like merging those two. Because work can get very stressful, and I don't necessarily like having that energy in. Yeah. But I don't really have a choice for it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I don't... I, I, I have my, uh, my ritual spaces in my working room, but they're on opposite walls. Yeah. So I have like one wall is all altar, and the other wall is like all work stuff. Yeah. The thing work I do is in my office. Yeah. But I don't feel like it's my. It's my space, I guess, but I don't really consider it. Yeah. Because even in my house in the city, I use our guest bedroom for my virtual space. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to get. It's hard to get dedicated space. Yeah. I mean, I'm re- I'm really lucky living in Portland that I have uh, two bedrooms that I get to yeah. deal with because I'm, you know, I'm a poor freelancer. Uh, so, so I feel really, really gracious and you know, grateful for that. I'd love to build a little, we've been talking about putting a yurt for a TV in our backyard. Uh-huh. Just as like a, either a second office or uh-huh. just moving my office up there and just having it just in space. Uh-huh. If we did that, I'd probably do that. Especially being outside, yeah, that would key in more. Focus. Like have that be a ritual space and keep your office in the house. Yeah, okay, or vice versa. That'd be cool, especially since you've been doing some. Since you've been having such like a spiritual connection to nature, sure, yeah, really. having an outdoor ritual space would be awesome. Yeah. Imagine oh, well, speaking you, of, I, yeah. to, I don't know the guy's name. Uh, the person left a comment that suggested a Celtic golden dawn. Uh, let me find out. You want to super grateful see. to yeah. that person? Okay, hold on. That's something I want to. I just learned about Eric. We about should absolutely weekend. respond to our commenters yes. in the podcast because that's what podcasters do. 
Okay, uh, Dean Smith. Thank you, Dean Smith. Yeah, he responded to our um, interview with Chuck Dunning, which I think still is maybe my favorite episode ever. Like, talking to Chuck was so cool. For me, it's that tied with Sora. Sora Sadkiel. Yeah. yeah, they were both pretty awesome. Um, and, uh, and Dean wrote, Hey, I'm really enjoying your guys' podcast. I love beer and am a Freemason. This is not a Masonic podcast, Dean, so, you know, cool your jets. <laughs> and practice magic, so this is really awesome. One of you guys mentioned uh, that nature in the Golden Dawn inspires him. That would be Matt. Matt mentioned that. John Michael Greer wrote a book called Celtic Golden Dawn, and it is a fusion of, Dru- of revival druidry and Golden Dawn. Uh, he also founded an order, the Druidical Order of the Golden Dawn, which uses the book as a textbook. Think instead of Egyptian Christian symbolism, nature slash wealth myth, Welsh mythological symbolism. Anyway, again, great podcast. I'm trying to catch up on all of them. Yeah, thanks, Dean. Yeah. Like th- that's really Huge cool. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. That's gonna send me down a, a really exciting rabbit hole. Yeah, and it's it's always like it's always a real delight to hear from people we don't know that they're enjoying our podcast. You know, I mean, when your friends are like. Hey, your podcast is super cool. You're like, yeah, you, you're just saying that because you're a friend. <laughs> so, so thank you. And, um, and yeah, you're, so you, have you, did you look the book up? No, because you just told me about it uh, Saturday afternoon while we were at a conference. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like I heard of that book before, but it didn't occur to me. But, yeah, like that's, that's totally right up Matt's alley. Oh, well, um, at least two, apparently. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that your dogs are my friends now. I am, too. I feel a lot less barking. I know. They didn't even bark at me all the last time. Except I she'll forget you by the time you come back. Yeah. But maybe not for long. Right, Zoe? We're surrounded by dogs here all the time. Next time I bring Benadryl. It's <laughs> uh, yeah. so weird as you said that. Uh-huh. I just got a text from me saying she gave Barley Benadryl. Literally, I'm reading that as you said Benadryl. Oh, why would you give Barley Benadryl? Because he's uh, having some itching issues. Oh. Dogs handle Benadryl really well. That's funny. Or cats, better told them. Cats are bad. I mean, they, they handle Benadryl if you can get it past their mouth. Oh. But if it touches anything in their mouth, they foam up. Oh. Like crazy. Just sort of like... Uh, Griffin did earlier. Like Griffin did earlier. Yeah, that's immediately what it made yeah. me think of. Gotta give Barley a Benadryl! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to smell. Does it smell any different? It should smell the same. So now that Eric's gone, I'm totally going to judge him for having not ordered a slice of cherry pie when we were at the Double R in North Bend yesterday while I was giving Joey, uh, Nate, and him a tour of all the Twin Peaks sites. Super disappointed in Eric for not going through with a slice of cherry pie. Hymns and prayers to Hathor. May I pray to her for the greatness of her name, for the strength of her striking power. Love of her is in the hearts of the people. Her beauty is with the gods. The Ennead shall come to her, bowing down for the greatness of her eminence. I shall laud the Golden One, extol her majesty. I shall exalt the Mistress of Heaven, give homage to Hathor. Thanks to my lady. O perfect, O luminous, O venerable, O great sorceress, O luminous mistress, O gold of the gods. And then in the afterlife, 
I have come before you, O Lady of the Two Lands, Hathor, great of love. I kissed the ground for your Ka. I was your true servant, loyal to your command. I did not spurn the words of your mouth. I was not ignorant of your teaching. I was upon the path which you yourself set, upon the road which you made. Okay, so we started the boil and we just pitched the hops. And it was, what is that, one ounce? Uh-huh. One ounce of Hallertau, Hallertoy. And um, it was incredible. Like so, so Matt's been over here like skimming proteins and things off the top of the brew and it's all boily and, and great and you dump the hops in and it immediately like green foam starts to form and like the smell starts to change and like it's still it it's it's pretty exciting and how long do we boil it 60 minutes you're gonna boil it for 60 minutes is there always constantly a, a threat of a boil over do we have to hover over it for 60 minutes no i mean most part it's like the main concern is the first 10 to 15 minutes. Okay. Or anytime you do a hop addition, there's a chance of a boil over. But generally, it's just that first. Because you've got the highest volume of wort in the in the vessel. Uh-huh. And you've got to let hop break. And so that's your biggest risk of boil overs at the beginning. There's always a chance later on, but for the most part, after the first 10 minutes, you can just kind of walk away a bit. Okay. I can't believe how good this smells. So the pellets, when they get in there, they start to break up pretty fast, huh? Like you oh, yeah. can see, you can see plant matter like swirling around in there now, and especially in the foam on the top. And then you were you were telling me earlier, I guess this is kind of common knowledge for home brewing, but when you you sort of add your your bittering hops at the beginning of the boil, because it takes that long for all the alpha acids and stuff to sort of convert and yeah, just, just come out, hopify, yeah, then come out, okay. And then, um, and then at the end we'll be adding uh, sats, mm-hmm. zats, yeah, which is a just for flavor and aroma, not for okay. bitterness. Right. And we got two ounces of that though. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay. And we're adding both, both ounces. Uh-huh. Cool. Okay. Cool. Hmm. I wish this thing recorded smells. <laughs> <laughs> we are almost done with the boil. Uh, we took a break and ate some lunch. Matt is busy sanitizing connectors and tubes and pump inlets and outlets. Um, the two... Are these corny kegs? Are these kind of corny kegs? So the two corny kegs, each corny keg is about five gallons. They are sitting here oozing a sanitizer. Um, and it looks like we've probably... That's like maybe three inches down, so maybe like we've maybe boiled off a gallon and a half, almost two gallons of stuff there. Almost, two um, and a half. yeah, two and a half gallons. It still smells incredible. Everything looks really good. So the thermometer isn't electronic. It's just a. But I have a pump. But... The pump is electronic. Yeah. Okay. This is really exciting. I'm very excited about this. So now we're mixing um, liquids and electricity. This is where things get interesting. And Matt's mentioned a couple times that he might add some uh, fruit to one of the fermenters, one of the one of the kegs for fermentation. So he's doing actually, the fermentation is happening in the keg. Uh, and then after that, I don't know, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know if he's going to do a secondary fermentation or if he's going to uh, bottle 
straight from the keg or if he's going to be able to serve straight from the keg. That's We're just going to have to wait and see. It's going to be a few weeks. Probably right when this episode is released will be the time when the beer is ready. Okay, and then the hydrometer, you said we have to wait until it's cool enough to pitch. Or even after. But at I least. Mean, just as it's. I mean, it'll be cool enough once it's going through the. Terminator. Barley. Stay away from there. Okay, I'm going to review Nutter Butters now. Alright, Internet. I'm opening a pack of uh, Nutter Butter Bites, the Peanut Butter Lover's Cookie. Um, this is a, mm, mm, smells like fake peanuts. I think that's real peanuts, real peanuts, a lot of sugar, some vanilla, other unidentifiable smells, kind of some molassesy things maybe going on in there. It's got a really good crunch. They're kind of sweet and a little tangy. Mm. Classic nut or butter flavor. It's sort of like um, the platonic ideal of peanut butter. You know, like if you're like, oh, the perfect peanut butter created in a lab would taste exactly like this. That's that's really what you're getting here. There's really nothing surprising in the list of ingredients. It's not like they're adding a bunch of weird ass chemicals. It's all normal chemicals. Mmm, nut herb butter. Also, the name sounds kind of like a porn. So Matt is currently attaching. He's pulling all this stuff out of the sanitizing solution. Attaching all the hoses and tubes and pumps and connectors to things. He's got the the Therminator almost all hooked up. The, the brew kettle has a tube coming out of the front, which goes into the pump. Which goes into the Therminator on one side. On the other side of the Therminator is uh, the hose, just the cold water hose. So what happens is the cold water runs in one direction through the Therminator, and there's a barrier between the cold water and the hot wort. And the hot wort runs in the other direction through the Therminator. So heat exchanges between the two. The, the cold water gets hot, while the hot wort gets cold. So the cool thing about the Therminator is it looks like it's some sort of little electronic device, but there's no electricity at all. It's just basically sheets of metal with liquid running between them. It's pretty ingenious. And I was setting it up so that the so the garden hose comes in one side, and then it's just going to spit out into the yard on the other side. Whereas the, the wart comes in one side, exits the other side, and will go into a keg. How's it looking? Oh, ooh, ooh. Can I do one? Yeah. All right. Okay, we just pitched the Czech Zatz, um, which is our, our finishing hop. So, so that's the hop that's done for flavor. And we used two bags of that. And I, uh, I sprinkled a little bit of the hop dust into my beer, just like the last time. It, that's not all 
so by the way a very good idea because a little bit of hops goes a long ways which is why you only like like this full 10 gallon batch we're only using three ounces of hops and even then like the, the solids like the solids of the hops don't make it into the beer at all it's really just kind of like the oils that get steeped out of it sort of in a tea kind of way you know all right, the hydrometer is in the graduated cylinder. Ew, it's all foamy and weird in there. We've started the cooling water, and now it's time to... Oh, 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 Turning off the cold water. Okay, we're using Imperial Organic Yeast with these little five ounce cans from Portland, and it's a B63 Monastic. Can we just leave it for a while? Yep. All right. Okay, we, uh, we fill the hydrometer, we turned on the pump. After the head and the hydrometer dies down a little bit, we'll be able to get a accurate original gravity count. It's kind of squirting a little bit. It's one of the rules of ruin. Everything is sticky and/or wet. I'm recording for real this time. the The theme to this entire episode seems to be Eric continues to forget to record. Um, so we're done with the brew. Matt's uh, cleaning the brew kettle, and uh, and I'm looking at the hydrometer, which is reading about uh, 1060, maybe a little over 1060. It's hard to tell. There's so little foam, um, which is a little low because we're aiming for 1090, and I'm sure Matt has some thoughts as to what could have been what what he could do next time to to get more out of it. But what we're gonna end up with is probably a session triple, <laughs> which is a which is a new style that that Matt's invented, the session triple, for responsible monks, <laughs> for monks have to work in the morning. Um, so thanks for thanks for listening to us brew, and come back next time when we drink it. Bye. Yahtzee.